everybody. This is Eric Krasno, and you are listening to the Plus One Podcast. I want to thank everybody for tuning in, and thank you guys for spreading the word about the show, following us on Instagram, subscribing on Apple Podcasts, and uh, we really appreciate you. It started out as a, a fun little project where I can talk with my friends about music and stuff, and it's it's grown because of you guys, so we really appreciate it. It's become something I look forward to every week, and I've been getting a lot of messages from you guys, uh, and I hope you keep them coming. Kraz plus one, it's Kraz with a Z plus one at gmail.com. been getting a ton of great suggestions for guests, and we've got an amazing lineup coming up over the next few weeks, so keep an eye out for that. I want to give a shout out to Osiris Media. They helped me put this show together and they have a lot of other great content. So uh, go check them out at OsirisPod.com. We got a really cool show today. Um, anyone that knows me knows I'm a huge fan of comedy and comedians. And I'm really fascinated by the whole comedy scene and especially the relationship between comedy and music. I think they're tied in a lot of ways. And um, I've always been curious about the life of a comedian on the road and building their career and whatnot. So I was really excited to connect with Jamie Kilstein. We found each other on Instagram and started talking and I started following him and I thought his videos were hilarious. Uh, He also has two really cool podcasts. One is called A Fuck-Up's Guide to Self-Help, and the other one is called Rear Naked Radio. Uh, I also just listened to his newest album, which is a live album that he recorded during uh, the COVID pandemic. This one's called 25% Capacity. You can find that on Spotify. He's toured with so many legends of comedy. He was one of Robin Williams' favorite comics, in fact. And uh, he's been on Conan and a ton of different shows. He's also a guitarist. He's working on musical projects, actually, right now. So we had a lot of cool stuff to talk about on the show. So I'm excited to get into it. But first, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. All right, he's a stand-up comic, a writer, a podcaster, an expert in jujitsu, and just an all-around funny guy. I'm really excited to welcome today's plus one, Jamie Kilstein. I really want to get into the parallels of like the comedy world and the music world because it's really fascinating to me because I'm kind of obsessed with comedy and comedians to a certain degree. I lived in New York City most of my life. You know, and I hung out um, in the West Village. Where, oh my god, that's West, where I started. Uh, yeah, I know. I, I listened to uh, a couple. I listened to the pod, your podcast with uh, Pete Holmes this morning, and it brought back. It's crazy because, like, I used to hang out down there, and you know, I, I've I've been playing the Blue Note for twenty years and hanging oh out god, in like yeah. Groove and the Comedy Cellar, of course. Yeah, and the Moons was like every night eat my Moons and like going back oh to like god. living in New York and complaining all the time. It's like, I, I moved to I moved to LA two years ago, but I talked about moving for 15. You know, yeah, I was like, but it's so go. hard to, especially when you tour and you're a musician, or I think it's similar if you're a comedian, um, that like, I don't know, I just became so intertwined there. And then I would come back from tour and I'd have a, it would be like, I'd have a week and I'd start looking at houses. And then like, by the time I'd get to like page three, I got a pack to leave again, you know, like on Zillow or whatever. Before I had like my, like like my divorce, I would late at night 
in New York, I would late at night stay up in the dark on the computer where I assume most husbands look at porn. And I was looking at real estate in Los Angeles and uh, cat adoption sites where yeah. I was just like, I'm like, well, I'm like, that was my fantasy. That was my porn hub. It's like one day I'm going to get to the warmth and have a little kitty cat. Like that's what I did. And yeah, uh, yeah so ex- exact same. Uh, me and Pete Holmes both probably tried to hand you a flyer at some I'm fucking sure. point yeah. if we were down there. Yeah. Um, it is, there is something so Stockholm syndrome about New York where we could spend the whole episode talking about talking about suffering in New York. And right. I would be like, oh, I miss it. Everything was romantic. Getting drunk yeah. was romantic. Yeah, yeah. Like a bad relationship was romantic. Shitty weather. Like when I think back to all of it, I'm like, man, if that happened when I lived here, it disaster. I'm like, right. I don't I don't want that. I don't want to be drunk late at night. I don't want to be around drunk people in New York, in the West Village. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the thing. I feel like New York, you like pummel yourself to the point where like <laughs> yeah. there's so many layers of shittiness that mm-hmm. you yes. could that you like can't even fathom what else is there. It's like and well, it also yes. it also like and I think this is probably I mean, I know this is the same in comedy, but in music I feel like it is the best place to be when you're developing your skill because yeah. if you're going to get like thrusted out of there so fast if you don't have like a the like yep. the the drive to like make it through yeah. um, and then or be like the the skill set or whatever I think it's mostly Dude. like the drive and working at it it's because a, I think yes. everybody sucks Everybody yes. sucks in the beginning. It's like, yep. and uh, that was something that I was listening to you guys on the podcast. And I was like, man, that so reminds me of running around the city and sitting in with people and playing with people oh, and, awesome. and like trying to figure out what was going to be the thing. I think the big difference, and this is what I thought of this morning is like in comedy, you you're really a solo act. And like in generally, once you find a band in music, you kind of can lean on it's one another, you know what I mean? Yeah. To a certain degree. I miss having backup. I miss building shit with people. I don't yeah. want to be a bitter solo act that is, is, is secretly seething about other people's success. I mean, me and Pete on my podcast talked about it, about how, you know, we were both jealous of each other for different reasons at different times. He was jealous of me when I was opening for Mark Marin. I was jealous of him when he got like super successful, like, I mean, we could probably go on and on about different little micro jealousies. Yeah. Yeah. And and then we 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 get to talking and doing a podcast. And he, out of a lot of comedians, he's you know, he's very spiritual, he's very collaborative, he's huge into music. Where um, you know, now it's like, okay, we do this podcast, which is essentially, I mean, right now, me and you are like improvising, right? We have to listen to each other, we don't want to talk over each other, blah, blah, blah. Um, so we're building something together and you know, Pete and I realized like, wow, we would have been really good friends for like 10 years that we just didn't talk. And with music, I would rather at this point in my life play rhythm guitar. <laughs> like no one even needs to know my name in like a cover band and make a decent, like make any living yeah. for, you know, a hundred cap uh, venue than I would open for Rogan on the road. That is just yeah. how much I'm like, just kind of done with comedy. And uh, when you know when a com- when when a comedian is bombing on stage, like if you're bombing on stage, yeah, you still have your band. Or if no one's in the audience, it's yeah. a band practice. And you know what's fucking awesome? 
band practice. Band practice <laughs> is a blast. So if I'm doing a gig for eight people, I'm like, I'm not even looking at them. I'm looking at yeah. my bass player. I'm looking at my drummer, blah, blah, blah. If I'm on stage for eight people, and you know, when, when we started comedy, you would walk into these show situations, these open mics, and figure out that like the people there don't even know there's a show. There's right, a game right. on at the bar. They look very happy watching the game. And then you look to like a corner and there's like a mic covered in a tarp. And you're like, <laughs> ah, fuck. And you slowly realize like, I'm about to ruin these people's nights right. with terrible comment. And they turn the game off and you hear everyone like, mm, like grumbling, like what the fuck's going on? Right. And then you're like, Hey, uh, anybody single? And people are like, what the fuck is happening? Um, not having people to lean on, not having people to build on, let alone touring. Yeah. I mean, when you get big enough, you can bring your openers and bring people like that. So you kind of do at least establish like a backstage team. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, the other thing I want to say real quick uh, before we get back to the music comedy is what you were saying about New York. You're right. I think it's the fucking grit because I tell people when I tell people really casually, normal people, like the shit I went through where it's like, yeah, I like lived out of my car for like two years and I squatted illegally at like NYU and like snuck into shower when like the girls from art school would like go to their classes uh, to do stand up. And they were like, were you getting paid? It's like, oh no, I was doing five minutes at one in the morning after handing out flyers for no pay for hours in like the dead of winter. And like, and hopefully there'd be an audience left. I mean, Pete and I probably talked about this so many times it was finally our turn to go on stage and like Chappelle would come by, which was great. And we yeah. would sit there and would watch Chappelle do 45 minutes. And then the audience would just leave with Chappelle. Right. And they'd right. be like, you know, like maybe like a Dutch guy left who just didn't yeah. know who Dave I've Chappelle been was. there on those nights when Chappelle like stops by. I've oh my God. The cellar, like hanging out. That, Dude, how wild was that? And, so and by the way, cool. the, the material he was doing then. People were so shitty slash racist when they were like, you fucking fled to Africa to like smoke crack. Like there were some yeah. crazy rumors where if you were there, you saw this too. Chappelle show was so big. It was the height of Chappelle show. Yeah. He was the only comedian I've ever seen that had a bodyguard. He had this like big Russian dude. Yeah. And well, he was doing really deep material like he is now. Yeah. Yeah. About race, about the war in Iraq. I remember, I don't remember what the joke was, but he, a bit about the war in Iraq that like almost brought us to tears. We were in yeah, the back, yeah. just like mouth dropped open and f frat boys from NYU would just shout like do Rick James and Chappelle would Ugh. literally have to explain to them. Like that's a sketch show. This, yeah. this is different. This is stand up. And then someone would be like, I'm rich bitch. And it's like, yo, I would have fucking fled to Africa too. If that yeah. shit was happening, I would be like, where are NYU students? Not well, this is, I mean, you know, every single like artist that gets huge success, it's always, yeah. it, there's always, you know, it's always a double-edged sword because you, you kind of like get to a point where you can kind of do whatever you want, but then everyone expects whatever yes. propelled you into success, you know, it's yes. like, and, or, and then they have to hide. And then like the good ones, like we've talked, like John Mayer, who's been on the show, he kind of had yeah. to hide out for a second after he, you know, and also it generally happens when you're super young, you know what I mean? And then you got to like reinvent yourself, Yes. you know, because yeah. like for him, it's like, buddy is a wonderland or like, I mean, even in my little microcosm, I went out on a solo tour, 
you know, with my first like album and I'm singing all my songs. It's a kind of the total departure and everyone wants yeah. to hear soul live. They're like, dude, they're like play the play, uh, do, 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 or whatever. And they're like yelling <laughs> yeah. that. And like, it, you know, it just happens across the board. And, but as an artist, you always have to keep going yeah. and evolving I love the idea of people heckling you with instrumental melodies. <laughs> that's, like, that is pretty funny. <laughs> that is pretty funny. It, and I'm also like, my version is like in a club where there's like a few people going, you know, it's like, you know, and of course that all grows and changes. And, and dude, when, when Dylan went electric, I yeah. forget, like I'm watching this like Netflix documentary. Dylan goes electric and they're interviewing people and these people are acting like he, they, like he fucked their wives. Right. He was just, they're just like we're betrayed, and I'm like, yeah, he yeah. wanted to try a new instrument, and you, a stranger, are fucking betrayed. Like it is absurd the level that, like, you know, especially nowadays, we're pretty much giving our art away for free, yeah. and then we are like demanded to do it. I remember. Uh, I was doing a bunch of comedy sketches on my Instagram that I started doing them during quarantine just to not go crazy. And they were pretty much apolitical. Um, there were some about jujitsu. There were some about music. There were some about just things I like, and it was all comedy. And then when um, George Floyd was killed, I did some political ones. I did some ones about people complaining about, you know, black lives matter and stuff like that. And I had so many people and I was shocked. I was like, fucking the fact that I even had these people following me made me question like what I was doing. But they're like, oh, could we not talk about race? Can you go back to jujitsu? And I was like, hey, person who pays me no fucking money. Yeah. The balls to come on a stranger's page. I literally had a guy write me because I so I have my podcast, which is a fuck ups guide to self-help, which has like, you know, from you're going to do it to the professional wrestling hall of famers. It's all over the place. But then I have this little niche fight podcast and I had this one guy and I was talking about racism in the fight world because right. I didn't want to talk about anything that wasn't racism when that was going on. And I literally had a guy write in and was like, um, we don't really have black people in my country. So can you get back to talking about jujitsu? I was like, yeah. you've got to be fucking kidding me. My wife like had to talk me down. There was like one day where I, it was when Biden was winning and I like yeah. posted something. I think it was maybe he, it was clear he was going to win. And it was like this Van Jones thing, which is like, I'm not even like a huge CNN Van Jones guy, but you know, and honestly I wanted Bernie to, to win, but whatever. But Biden's same, winning. Same, same, same. Yeah. It's, but Biden, Biden won. And I'm like, okay. And, and, and Van Jones had this like really like touching speech about, I'm going to feel better about my kids. And like that they, that this, like yes. they have someone in office that can be a role model and a better man and like I won't have to worry about yes. them as as you know people of color in this country and I like took a clip of it and I posted it didn't even say like Biden or whatever <laughs> yeah. I got hundreds it's of insane. comments and so many of them were like for, for like political like you're crazy and you don't know what you're talking about and da 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 but then a lot of them were like musicians should just stick to music you know what That's I mean the and, and I and I remember clicking through to one of those and that guy his entire feed is talking about Trump and this that, and, that. and I'm like of because course. I play an instrument that makes me not able to like speak about my views they, and, it's just like dance for me and it's so <laughs> it's and, crazy and, and by the way you've been 
And maybe that's why uh, uh, they don't want you to, they, they want you to keep playing instrumental stuff. It's like every time he talks, he talks about fucking Bernie. I mean, you just can't think about them. And also you're one of the people who's been so, I actually aspire to handle it the way you do, which is, you know, you create good art, you bring people together through music. And then you, when you say things on your podcast, it's very like, Hey, no one should be able to disagree with this, right? Like when you talk about like, I really hope this year the, the we we can get the we, we can stop with the divisiveness, and it's like, yeah, like that all. You know, I remember posting. I was like, hey man, all these Republicans who unfollowed me, all they had to do was wait a month before I started tearing into Joe Biden. Like, get, like <laughs> same deal. That's a fucking Bernie guy. I'm I know. Like, be, we, we're giving, be patient, you idiots. Right, right, like, right. I still have principles and i think that's the problem with politics in general which god we don't have to talk about but which is people don't have principles they have teams and that's the problem where if you know if 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 bill clinton's a a, a creep to women then i should also be mad when donald trump is a creep to women if george bush is droning weddings then i should be mad if obama is droning weddings like and we've just lost and i don't know if it's social media i don't know if it's always been this way but we've lost these principles where like we're at a point where Republicans felt like if they disagreed with Trump, they couldn't say anything because they have to defend their team. And then liberals feel like, you know, if we were disappointed in in Biden, that we couldn't say anything because we have to defend our team. And the reality of it is when you you know, I started saying this during my shows where I was like, hey, I know there are. Republicans in here because I'm in Arizona right now. And I know there are Democrats in here because like that dude in the front stoned. And like <laughs> the the bottom line is like we all laughed at the same shit. You yeah, know, when yeah, I actually yeah. talk to a conservative that I meet in like jujitsu, granted it's after I like strangle him, but like yeah. when we disagree, the conversation is so fucking civil in real life. Right. And you go, oh, we just like disagree on how to get there. Well, that right there I, is really important, I think. And in, in the the combination of social media being like the tool everyone uses for not, I mean, communication, but everything yes. um, combined with us not being able to be around each other in person allows people right, to right. say shit they would never say to another human in their face. Like it that is, guy, yes. if, he, if he came to my show and I said that, you think he would say, and I said it on no. the mic, like you think he would come up to me and say that stuff? There's no, no way. And, no. and, and flip on the flip side, if I'm sitting with somebody um, that has different political views than me, we're going to have a conversation about it. I'm not going to post like, a bunch of Nazi. Yeah, and exactly. And post crazy memes. Tell, and like, you know, I think that's a huge thing. And that's something that I've had to, you know, that I talk about on the podcast a little bit. And like, just is that there does need to be a conversation. The numbers are so high on both sides right now. And, and everyone is so far apart that like you have to be able to converse. And I think I actually think, there's actually, I want to point to something cause I listened yeah. to your album, uh, oh, okay. 25% capacity, which I yeah, suggest yes. everyone go listen to. It's hilarious. Thanks, and man. in it, you do talk a little bit about, you know, living in a bubble. Right. Yes. And then you move to Arizona and your friends have, own guns and they're yep. they it's a different type of you're around all these different people and 
it's not that your views completely change, but how you're communicating and how, you know, I wanted you to touch on that a little bit because I thought that was a really interesting piece to your show. I was just Brooklyn and Law and Silver Lake. So right. like a little bit of a bubble. Yeah, the hipster, <laughs> the hipster universe. Yeah. Of both coasts. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, with what you were saying about how people wouldn't say that stuff in real life. I really am convinced if you want everyone to be a decent person, everyone in their life should have like one friend with like a different political, different religious point of view. They should travel. They should leave the country if they can uh, at least once they should work in retail or wait tables. Um, and they should, everyone should get punched in the face. Everyone should know what it's like <laughs> to get punched in the fucking mouth because yeah. there are times, especially like being a fighter, where there are times, and I'm like very zen, meditative. I've talked my way out of every fight, even though I know I can fight. Like, I'm a peaceful guy. But when you see fucking tweets like that or Instagram things like that from strangers who are demanding that you do this or they're yelling at you or they're saying personal stuff or saying lies about you, there's always part of me that just wants to be like, yo, I can send you my gym address and you can sign a waiver and we can fight. <laughs> like we can do this like they used to do this right, in the old right, days. Right. Um, and then I have to stop myself. But I'm like, there's no accountability. They have like random fucking avatars and, you know, and, and, and that was the world I was in. I was either in my bubble where everyone agreed with me or would just infight because we agreed so much and we still had to fight. Um, the left is very good at that. And, and yeah, then when I went to Arizona, you know, like I won't do the bits, I'll be, I'll be earnest about it instead. Sorry, audience. Um, it, it made me feel better. Like, what's a good example I haven't talked about on a podcast. Okay. So when my cat died, so my cat's name, uh, was Talib Kitty because I got him the day after I opened for Talib Kweli. I love and that. I love that. And I, uh, I was in a relationship and she, I think my, girl, my girlfriend got mad at me because I tried to tell her to come over to talk to me and Talib. And I don't know. She was really, she was like really jealous. So she would get jealous over, over if I'm talking to fucking Talib Kweli. And so we get into like a fight. Uh, at the hotel where she like, it, you know, like that day, the honeymoon period ends. Oh yeah. And you're like, who's this strange lady yelling at me who like, I was totally in love with like an hour ago. Uh, and so the car ride home were just silent. And then I thought of the name to kitty for a cat. And then I go, I know it'll fix this relationship. We'll adopt a cat together. And then I told her that. And then that bought us another six months in the relationship. Yeah. And so I adopted Talib Kitty. And um, when he died, I was, a, I was a wreck. I was a wreck. Uh, I was living in Arizona and I would go wander around my, my neighborhood. I didn't live in Tucson. I lived in kind of like an older area up in the mountains. So it was like me yeah. and retirees. And so I'd walk around all looking like sad. And whenever I saw one of the old ladies who lived by me with their dogs, that let me like pet their dogs. And so I started petting all these dogs and I would bond with the old women because most of them were widows. So what would happen is uh, they would go, why don't you get a dog? I'm like, oh, I just lost my cat. And they're like, I lost Gerald. And I'm like, all right. And then we became friends. Right. right. And so I would start taking walks with like these old widows and I was their cool tattooed friend. Yeah. And they were the sweetest people. And they literally got me through one of the worst fucking things that's happened to me. By the time we started talking about politics, 
they were all fucking Fox News, oh, Ari- yeah. you know, Arizona people. Talking to them, a lot of them were just fucking terrified of everything because they just right. watched the news all day. I mean, it sucks because you see a nice person and you go, oh, you're brainwashed and you shouldn't be this scared and whatever. That's just my my opinion. But it also kind of gave me hope because if you're just on Twitter and you're just arguing, you go, well, everyone's a fucking monster. Like people I agree with look like fucking monsters on Twitter. And when you can realize that like, oh, some of these people who are so kind and so nice and will take fucking laps around a a pool with a tiny dog. So like this fucking crazy tattooed artist doesn't start crying. It actually makes you feel better. And then when you want to go deeper, one of the last conversations I had in Arizona was with a cop who was asking me a bunch of questions at jujitsu. We were sparring and I just go, Hey man, can I like ask you about the George Floyd stuff? And he goes, me and my entire team, this guy's a conservative, me and my entire team were furious. We were livid. It makes fucking cops look bad. And I'm like, why can't you say that stuff? And they're like, it just gets too divisive. And so, you know, at, Look, you have monsters. You have I, racist, homophobes, sexist. I don't even col- consider that a political issue. I consider that like you are a bad person. That's not a left versus right. right. That's just like immoral, period. But when you get someone who is not those things and they just disagree with you, you know, at worst, it's like, okay, I disagree, but at least I see you're still nice and kind and kind to your family and kind to me, this like disheveled stranger. And then at best, like the cop, maybe we actually agree. We're just so split and forced to be in different worlds that we don't get to see we agree. And actually, if we have more conversations like this, which in theory, comedy and music can bring people together, you know, maybe we can uh, get something out of it. Well, I think that is going to, that's why I hope in these coming years when things open up again, uh, that's like the hope. You know what I mean? That I see it's, but the crazy thing is that people like the cop you spoke to, unfortunately, aren't the voices we hear from the other side because the the, the headlines that make the money and that get the clicks are generally the really crazy statements. And then also like the people, you know, social media seems like you should be able to tap into the entire universe and have every perspective in front of you, which is true, but generally you're fed the same things. And if anything, crazier versions, you know what I mean? Like the rabbit hole just keeps going and getting, and and it's making people believe in these insane theories that are, because anything that's on the internet is true, essentially. Back in the day, I was just talking to somebody about this. When you were kids, you'd turn on every news channel and it'd be the same story told in the same kind of way. Now yeah. everyone, every channel has a completely different, you well, know. This happened, this happened after 9-11 because, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. you know, Fox News was getting all the ratings because they were, you know, criticizing. Uh, they weren't criticizing the war. It was America first. It was freedom fries, blah, blah, blah. And then all the other news organizations had to play catch up. You know, MSNBC gets called the liberal Fox News, but people forget that Phil Donahue was fired from MSNBC for being anti-Iraq war. The right. only people that were going on to speak against this war, which is now widely been disowned even from 
I think most Republicans um, were like actors and, and stuff like that because no one in politics w- would say anything about it. I mean, I remember I opened for Janine Garofalo in Boston and we got cornered by Fox News, this tiny little five foot two 90s actress comedian because she went on Fox to like, or or she was speaking out against uh, the Iraq war, you know? I mean, that's really when the divisiveness started and you're totally right, right about right. the clickbait. I mean, the first guy I met in Texas and I'm in Austin, I'm in liberal Texas. Right, right. The, the guy who came to install my internet seemed fine. We were kind of talking. He's like, you watching the election stuff? And I should have just said no. Right. And I was like, yeah, I'm like kind of followed. And he's like, yeah, man, Joe Biden's a pedophile. And I was like, what? Like, yeah. how can you just so casually drop yep. uh, that Joe Biden is a pedophile? Uh, but it's like, yeah, people see and conspiracy theories are fucking sexy and everyone thinks they're like Neo from the Matrix and they know the thing um, and everything's just much more boring in real life. It's like, yeah, I mean, most Democrats and Republican politicians are shitty people and they're out for money. And, you know, we we should just be nice and, and, and try to take care of each other the best we can. And uh, what I'm hoping is... Much like John Mayer reinvented himself from Your Body is a Wonderland tabloid, who is he dating to a a masterful blues guitar player and now uh, playing Jerry Garcia's lines. I am hoping that America will too transform. I think my naive theory is that people are so burnt out from all of the Trump stuff you know, I mean, I didn't really make Trump jokes during the the presidency just because I was like, eh, God, it's all everyone can do um, that. I'm hoping that and you're starting to see a lot of the podcasts that are blowing up, you know, are podcasts about like taking care of yourself. And people right. are talking more about meditation and mindfulness and diet and, you know, psychedelics for depression and mental health and all of these things. And I do wonder if there's going to be a pushback, you know, whenever politics gets brought up, this is kind of the way I talk about it. But I really do think that what you do, what I do talking about mental health, using our art to, you know, bring people, if not together, just make them feel fucking decent for a little yeah. while when yeah. things are so scary. Um, I never used to give myself credit for that. And sometimes I even thought it was a cop out or apathetic, but now I'm like, man, it's really important because every time I have heartbreak or when my cat died or whatever, I wasn't like, Oh man, I better, better read some Noam Chomsky. Like I better, I better turn on MSNBC. I was just like, I would go outside and I would put on my headphones and I would listen to whatever album was going to make me feel better like right, period right. or or you know i give comedy shit because i i love music so much more than comedy but like if you're in conversation and you laugh same deal same yeah. release as with music um you know i would do interviews back in the day when people would always ask me they're like hey were you the class clown and that's why you got into comedy. And I was like, no, the class clown beat the fuck out of me. I was the nerd and I became funny as a defense mechanism oh, yeah. um, where, you know, I'm a comedian because my mom's an alcoholic, like because me and my brothers, if she got arrested or if she if this happened or that, we would be horrified. And then the first person to make a joke, which is always an inappropriate joke because of the circumstance, we would laugh so hard that would break the ice. Once the ice is broken, it's like, okay, now we can talk about it. 
We'll be right back after this short break. I want to go back a little bit uh, to what we were just talking about in terms of what inspired you to like become a comedian and like what those beginnings looked like. Um, was there like a particular uh, comedian? Was there like, and all, I'm curious, like your first time on stage, like I would be like catatonic nervous for some reason with music, but like if I got to get up and ta- even talk in front of people by myself, it's just like, so anyway, I, I'm curious like what, what that was like. That's a great question because I had, I had like an answer in my head about the comedy, about the first part of the question because yeah. it's tied to music. Yeah. But the, the first time on stage, no one has asked me that. I haven't thought about that in so long. Uh, I threw up consistently before every show for the first six years. Um, <laughs> even when I started to get good, it would be like, if I was with a girlfriend who knew me and people would be like, where's Jamie? She'd be like, well, he's, he's throwing up. <laughs> he's like downstairs throwing up. Uh, my, my mouth, I mean, it was, it was horrible. Yeah. Um, it was so nerve wracking there. I don't know if there are scams like this in music, but uh, the step above an open mic, which you pay for to get on stage, which I know that's right. probably the same in music, but we had something called bringer shows where you had to get like, if you wanted five minutes, you had to get three, three at the least, but usually it was like 10 paying customers. So it's a pyramid scheme, essentially. So I was living in Jersey when I started before I moved to New York. I dropped out of high school at 17, started comedy right away. So I would take New Jersey transit into New York. And I would like have to trick my friends and family to come to this shitty fucking three hour long, just catastrophe of a show, uh, paying customers of just like racism and sexism. I mean, it was just God awful. Um, these bringer shows and you're like, Oh, this is it. You know? And mine was at the New York comedy club, which was like 23rd and some fucking block. No one goes to. And, uh, yeah, it was a bit of a nightmare. So the reason I got into comedy is because I, by 17, was a failed musician. So I had a jam band um, in high school named Pray for Mojo, which was a Simpsons reference, which you're like required to have if you're like a bunch of stoners. Um, My school, this is kind of cool. I have a theory on this. So my school, it was all hippies. Um, The reason I'm not dead from like drug addiction or whatever is we didn't have hard drugs in our school. Um, we just were a weed school. We were a weed school and popular kids wore patchwork pants. And my theory is we didn't get football until after we, until after I graduated. So our big sport was soccer. So our jocks were soccer players who were long haired fish fans who like played in my band. Right. right. Um, So there was this like weird crossover where popular kids were actually going to see fish. And so I had this jam band and we were for 17 year olds. Like we were good. We were the public school kids and we somehow like our, our two best gigs. We like snuck into a, into the big private schools battle of the band somehow. And we show up and they all have like, 
I remember it was the first time I saw like a Marshall stack. Like we were broke. Like I, we all had used gear and shit like that. And like these kids, there was one band that they had picks with like their band's name written on it that yeah. they threw to the crowd. I mean, these were the rich kids. Yeah. And we fucking got up there high out of our brain. We had like, I think you were, you could play four songs. We did one song because we were a jam band. Uh, in the middle of the song, I believe we went into like magic carpet ride or something like that. Then <laughs> like back into our song. We fucking win. We yeah. won the whole thing. Wow. Then at the end, uh, when they were giving us their cash, pr- our, our, our prize, they go, now it's custom to uh, donate half of it back to the, to the school and, and pick where it's going to go. And I think it was our drummer and the mic was like, no, we're just going to keep it all. And we kept the money and we spent half of it on weed. And then the second half on getting food after we smoked the first wow. half. Right. So that was our first big gig. That's by the way, the exact same story as like the first lettuce gig. Cause we got like, no. and we, we got like, I don't, I don't even remember how much money it was. It was exactly enough for like a bag of weed and Chinese food for the whole band. <laughs> and we were so stoked. We all crashed on the floor at like our best. friend's house. Anyway. Oh, it was the, <laughs> that, that made me, I'm so glad you told me that. That yeah. made me so happy. I'm like, great. I'm following in the right footsteps. <laughs> um, and so then we got a gig opening for, you know, for, for a bunch of Jersey high school kids, we opened for like the band that opened for blues traveler. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? It was like one of those, it was this band dear Liza from our town. And it was at some like eating hall at Princeton university. I mean, man, there were probably 30 people there, but in my head, I mean, I put this in my top five gigs of all time and I played the Sydney Opera House. Like, because uh, it was the first time we had monitors. It was the first time. Do you remember the first time you played and the, the fucking drums were mic'd? Yeah, and you're just yeah. like, you feel like you're at a goddamn arena. And so after that gig, I called a band meeting because I was that guy. I'm always the fucking last man standing. And I call a band meeting and I go, all right, guys, like we're really fucking doing it. Like maybe dear Liza will take us on the road with them when they go, like, we should talk about touring. We should talk about like, I wanted to make like pray for Mojo merch. And they were all like, like it was some intervention of me. They were like, Jamie, we have to go to college. Right. And I was like, but we know, we know what we want to, we know what we want to do. And they were like, no, our parents aren't going to let us do this. So to answer your question, which I crowbarred all my music bullshit in, the reason I did comedy is it's like when you have a breakup and you just are like, you start going on dating sites and you're like, I don't know, man, I guess I'm just looking for someone who's like nice and not going to break up with me. That's why I got into comedy. I settled for comedy where I wasn't a good enough guitar player. I was good in a band. But I wasn't good enough to like be like a solo ad. Like I wasn't like Tuck Andrus. Like I didn't yeah. know, you know, I don't know how to read music. I barely know how to change a string. And and I was like, well, I can't be in a band, but I, I'm already failing out of school because all I did was play music. I mean, I would cut any class I could to go play drums because um, I couldn't afford a drum set. So I would play drums in the band room. I would take my lunch into the band room. And so I was failing all my classes. I had an English teacher who like a fucking movie took me aside after class one day. And he goes, you're one of the smartest kids I have. You have a 12 in my class. And we're talking 12 <laughs> out of a hundred, right? I have a fucking 12, but he knew I was smart. Cause I, I could jump into the conversation right. about characters because right. I could just pick up what they were talking about. Right, right. You know, like I didn't read the joy luck club, but if I heard enough people talk about it and you know, they asked what the protagonist, whatever I could be like, Oh, she's got to fucking dump that guy. And they're right. like, 
you didn't read the book, but yes, you're correct or whatever. And so he brings me aside and he literally goes, he goes, school's not for everybody. And at that point, I thought dropping out was just for like drug dealers. So I dropped out and I liked comedy enough, you know? I mean, I think at this point, I already like I snuck backstage at the Hampton Comes Alive Fish show because I wanted to give Fishman my fucking demo. One of the main reasons I moved to Austin was just because as a kid, I wanted to move to Austin because of Stevie Ray Vaughan. Like, you know, I was so obsessed with music, but I liked comedy enough. You know, it was fine. Even my favorite comedian, you know, I grew up on like Bill Hicks, um, who, if you guys don't know, is kind of like an edgier George Carlin. Um but I grew up on him because I found him through Tool, through the band. Oh, wow. um, and so, like, Hicks was the first time I was like, okay, comedy can be, like, counterculture and kind of lawless. And, like, like I said, I liked it enough. I mean, Jon Stewart had an HBO special back in the day that was fantastic way before The Daily Show. He was, like, on MTV, and me and my mom would watch that. Uh, whenever I had like a hooky day from school or I pretended to be sick. And so, like, I liked comedy, but... The answer is it was because I fucking couldn't play music. And I was like, well, I guess I'll be like an entertainer. And then I've spent the last 15 years quitting comedy, going back, quitting comedy, going back. It's like a toxic act. The only people more fun to hang out with than like rock stars are comedians. That is true. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that's why like historically... That's like always been, you know, you always see like those old pictures that you wish you were in that room with like Belushi and and Joe Cocker and whoever else and the Stones. Besides Mayer, that doesn't happen a ton anymore. John found a way to like fucking live the dream where yeah. he can go back and forth between like Chappelle and the dead. Like, yeah. like homeboy figured it out. Right. Yeah. Um, but the reason I moved to Austin, I, I broke my lease. I did it like on a whim was I watched that fucking Dylan, the Rolling Thunder review. And, oh, I, yeah. I've been, I, I've been, oh, and I've been thinking so much about the 60s, about how, you know, Jack Kerouac was influenced by jazz musicians. He would spend every night at jazz clubs. And then Allen Ginsberg was like hanging out with Ram Dass, but was also going on tour with Dylan. If you guys don't, Allen Ginsberg is a poet. And, you know, all, everybody, they were just fucking artists. And artists were just hanging out and there was like an overlap with the spiritual community. And, you know, now like I have a music manager and like, he's great. He's a big fan of yours, by the way. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a dead guy, which is why we bonded. But like, even I was trying to explain to him, like he's the easily the best manager I've ever had. I mean, comedy managers are trash. I'm like, yeah, I think I want to do like comedy stuff and spoken word, but like with bands. And even that's kind of like, he's like, but, I thought we were going to do comedy. I'm like, yeah, but maybe we can do all of the things and like right, combine yeah. them. And I think that's so foreign to a lot of people, but in the fucking sixties, man, like that's what used to happen. Right, it was right. just people fucking collaborating. Um, and the shows, like if you think, if you look at like the Fillmore, they'd have jazz musicians, comedians and like rock bands. And like, yes. that all was, you know, um, happening. I've always like really dreamed of that. I mean, we, we toured with Reggie Watts in our band for a long time and that's when he started doing like his music com- combination Dude. looping thing. So uh, I co-headlined with Reggie, my first headline gigs ever. It was me and Reggie and we yeah, co-headlined yeah. and it was when, you know, I was doing this more spoken word musical 
style, not, right. not on the album, but you've heard some. But Reggie and I played some like kind of weirder venues. Yeah, yeah. And well, what happened was I would do my set, he would do his set. And then we would encore together where he was the first musician that ever he would beatbox over my spoken word. Oh, okay. Shit. And we <laughs> actually awesome. did the Sydney, we did this in the opera house together. Oh, wow. Um, how fucking cool is that shit? Yeah. And I always use Reggie as an example where it's like, he started as a comedian who probably confused a lot of people Yeah. and he just fucking stuck with it. Yeah. And yeah. then he subverted everything. Right. It's interesting because, I mean, I think like, you know, I think this goes back to our, the beginning of our conversation is like the stuff that seems really weird is all is generally the thing that pushes the envelope and makes art cooler. A new, a new thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think people, um, people need that. And I think that actually right now, um, also to include the other thing you were saying about um, spirituality and like these that podcasts are, you know, the popularity of like, first of all, creative podcasts and also podcasts around like wellness and stuff. I think the time period, people wanting something different from the Trump era, and then also yeah. people having this down, this weird downtime to yeah. create, you know what I mean? Yes. There's a lot of people that, that always wanted to combine music and comedy and now they can actually dig into that idea or dig or, or always wanted to do yoga and meditate or yep. always wanted to yep. learn piano. I yep. think the fact is like this like year of slowing down is going to have so much more positive effect on the future. Like than we, than yes. we even know. Well, and here's the way I, I always phrase it is like, you have people who played it safe right. and didn't follow their dreams or right. didn't take the risk and they still got fucked over by COVID. Yeah. And so you might as well do the risky thing. And like, oftentimes I was so scared to start doing spoken word at comedy clubs and I quit. I stopped because I was scared, but that's how Robin Williams found me. That's how the Talib Kweli gig happened. Right. That's how, you know, so much. And I just, and then I got nervous once it kind of hit a wall and I was like, okay, I'll just go back to straight stand up. And because safety always feels safer, yeah. but it's not, it it's is not. It's, it's yeah. so much scarier to live a, a mediocre life that makes you miserable playing it safe than to fail spectacularly um, going after what you want. And I think that I'm so glad you said that about the, 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 the making weird stuff, because, you know, that's how I've kind of been pitching it to, to my team where, you know, I mean, you remember this when you first started playing guitar, if you hit a lick that was like a Hendrix lick or a Stevie Ray Vaughan lick, you go in your head, you go, I'm doing guitar, right? You don't go, I'm taking someone's riff. Right. Same with every New York comic back in our generation wanted to sound like Dave Attell. So if you had a, -da 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 -da, you're like, I'm doing comedy right. You don't right. think you're lifting from other people. And then eventually you develop your own voice and your influences just influence you and, and so on. But when you do start doing something that's weird and that hasn't been done before, there is that part of you that feels like, Oh, well, I'm doing it wrong. Like it doesn't yeah. fit anywhere instead of what you should be doing. And I'm convincing myself this, as I say it out loud, I'm not being preachy, but what you should be doing is being like, no, 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 no. This is why I need to do it because yeah. it doesn't fucking exist because right. it's not out there because 
Nobody has the influences, the circumstances. Look, I grew up on punk jam band music and comedy. I will probably be able to make music if I follow my gut and don't chicken out. That has not been, th- that doesn't sound like anything that's been done. Oh, and right, I'm like right. a fucking, like I love pop music. Like I've listened to folklore so many fucking times. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, but instead, sometimes we run away from what makes us different. And we just want to fit in, which is what I always did with comedy. I right. just like, I just wanted to fucking fit in. So I would sort of stop doing that stuff. Well, every kind of trailblazing, like legend musician got pummeled. I mean, I'm actually looking at the poster behind <laughs> you of Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. And I've been on a yeah. deep dive into Hendrix lately. And Ooh. I mean, he got pummeled by everyone by the black community and the white community like they no way. And, i mean in the beginning he was just ripping off albert king licks you know right and and uh bb king licks and then as he started to make it his own and started to like he fell in love with bob dylan's music and yeah. he started to like wear this flamboyant stuff or on stage or whatever right. but everyone thinks he's just like this wild dude that was like fuck it is it course. but really behind closed doors he was like manic and like didn't think he Ugh. could sing and like that's right i heard this on your podcast right didn't you what were you the one who said because i think i just i told somebody this uh yeah it must have been your podcast right? i mean i'm i'm like obsessed i mean i've always been obsessed but in the last few months like i read his biography and then just have been like rabbit hole on anyone that ever worked with him and you get you got to text me shit you find like if you oh, find yeah. like gems just fucking oh, start i've got so me. much it, we'll yeah, have I've our so we'll much. have a, we'll have a separate fucking hendrix thread but I mean, this is a guy who changed the game, okay? Yes, and it really yes. took him, you know, not, I mean, he got knocked down by every single person. Like he was living in Harlem and trying to play his music on the, um, in, t- for DJs up there, and no one liked it. They all thought uh-huh. he was insane. And then, like, the West Village, like, kind of like started embracing him, but um, in like the hippie kind of thing. But still, yeah. it wasn't until he went to London. And got introduced um, to to uh, Clapton, and within a couple months of living in London, every yeah. massive rock star was was like his huge fan. And then three months later, he was Jimi Hendrix. His name wasn't even Jimi Hendrix. His whole entire career took place in two and a half years. His entire career, he was Jimi James in '66. But in 60 set by the beginning of 60 end of 66, he was Jimi Hendrix. He was dead in the 70 and the entire thing happened. It's like, I, I kind of don't want to go on this too long. Cause I'm so like crazy about it, but you have the poster behind you. And I was like, I got it. I can't help it. Not that I ever was anywhere close to Hendrix, but there are, there's some overlap here. So I was getting booed off stage in America and I had to go make a living overseas right? Um, because they loved it. And I would, th- that's why I did the opera house. I remember the week I got back from the opera house, I couldn't get booked at that shitty New York comedy club I told you about. Like I wasn't yeah. getting anything yeah. um, at all. But I would go overseas and I would play the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. I would play London. Um, and I would play Australia a lot. And over there, you know, they treat comedy like an art form. So I was getting reviews written up in the fucking Guardian and the Scotsman, these five-star reviews. And, you know, they have posters, like it's theater, you know, like with your reviews, they staple the stars on. Like, it's a different fucking world. And like, I remember I have like the classic artist dad where I'm just like desperately trying to make him 
love me. And I, uh, I remember I, I, I sent him like, it was either Time Out London or The Guardian that gave me like a five-star review. And I sent it to him and he wrote, uh, I'm really proud of you. He could have stopped there. And then he said, maybe one day you'll get reviews like that in America. And I was like, Dad, <laughs> oh, man. you could have spent Just less time on there. that email. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah you could yeah. have pressed send early, yeah. call fucking day. I would have been happy. And so I started doing this spoken word stuff because, again, I wasn't getting booked to comedy clubs. So I could only get booked at poetry clubs in New York. I don't know if you ever went to like the New York Recon. Oh, yeah. Uh, or Bowery Poetry Club. So Bowery, I didn't know yeah, those, Bowery. Yeah. I didn't know those places existed. And I'm not getting booked at stand-up clubs and I'm getting booked overseas, but I come home and I, I don't have gigs. And so one day I go home and I'm seeing my dad and he has HBO and I, I see uh, Deaf Poetry Jam. And I thought slam poetry was just like pretentious white kids. Yeah. And, but it's hosted by most deaf. It's the first time I saw Talib Kweli fucking Kanye yeah. uh, performed on uh, that Saul Williams. Oh, no, that, that was, that was, that was the shit. I loved it. It was show. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, Saul Williams before he was a musician and was just a poet literally came out and had a scroll and he just unfurled this giant <laughs> scroll and like, like, dude, it was the most banana shit I've ever seen. Yeah. And so I go, I can do this. I go, because I don't have to be funny, but not a lot of people are funny. So what if I just did my, and it's, it's music. I right. mean, even if you watch my Conan set, I'm tapping my foot. Because Barack Obama doesn't torture innocent people. <laughs> right. Cause I'm like, that's good. But when did not torturing innocent people make you the best president the entire world has ever seen. Like, when did the bar get placed so low? And like, I think it's because our last president was so crazy that it's sort of like America just got out of an abusive relationship. Do you know what I mean? We're like, the last boyfriend was nuts. Like he had a temper, had punched Muslims in the street for no reason. Listening to our phone calls, had like a creepy best friend who would just sit around shooting people in the face. So now, anything the new boyfriend does is amazing by comparison. Where it's like, hey, how's the new boyfriend? Well, he doesn't waterboard me. Mmm, put a ring on that finger, girlfriend. And so I start going to the New York and Bowery. And dude, I start winning everything. Like, yeah. no one knows who I am. Uh, I got flown to Austin. Uh, to play at the fucking Paramount Theater. I end up in like the top 10 uh, in the world for this like the big slam poetry competition because I won all of these like, things. This is all in a year. Um, if I made it to the finals, which I didn't, I made it to the semifinals. If I made it to the finals, I didn't have a poem to read because I didn't have that much material. Um, but being funny, whatever, I was good at it. So then I start Pointed it into my comedy. I'm getting booed off stage. I was getting booed off stage before I made the form weird. So now I'm fucking with the form and it's political. And so I'm just like every audition I'm getting booed. But there's this guy named Paul Provenza who hosted the show called The Green Room. Um, it was my first TV appearance. He made that movie, The Aristocrats. He goes, dude, you got to come overseas. You got to come to this fringe festival. And usually what happens is people, they have their own show. The entire city of Edinburgh just becomes this arts festival. All the locals flee, rent their apartments out for like so much money. 
and it's just a party for a month. Yeah, I've heard Reggie's talked about that one. So that's where I met Reggie. Yeah. Um, And Reggie and I were at the same venue during doing our first show together. Um, And I didn't know who Reggie was. And like, I remember like one night, because Reggie, same deal, wasn't big in the States. Yeah. And Reggie and I do a duet where I do my spoken word piece about music and he's fucking beatboxing. And like Brian Eno was one of like 30 people in this bar in like Scotland who just came to see fucking Reggie. And he came up to me and was like, you were very good. And I was like, can I use it as a blurb? And so like, I have some boring blurb. I was like, you are very good. Brian, Eno on my resume for like 10 years ago, what there was, if you didn't have a solo show, you could do these late night spots and the late night spots would happen at like one in the morning and different venues in front of hundreds of people. Cause everybody would go to the late night shows to figure out what show they want to see. So Paul gets me a gig at this show. 600 people and they're drunk and I'm supposed to do the spoken word stuff. I'm homeless at the time, by the way, I'm living with my mom. I'm like 28. My mom was relapsing. Like my ex was there like back in Jersey with her. Uh, I should say she's sober now, by the way, everybody, um, all of my mom's friends listening to the show and I'm, I'm sleeping on Paul's couch. I'm bumming cigarettes. I have no money. I'm eating French fries for every meal. Cause it's what I can afford. And I show up at this show and Everyone is doing straight stand-up and like hacky stand-up. Like, oh, you're from England? Hacky England joke. Like, you have a shirt, you're gay. Like, it was awful. And I go, and it's one in the morning. I go, Paul, I'm going to get massacred if I do poetry on stage. And Paul fucking corners me. Like, it's like some like Mighty Ducks type movie where he's like, you fucking get up there. You're an artist. They, They understand art here in Europe, like all this stuff. And I'm like, I, I think I probably went to throw up. Um, I'm not a big drinker, but I like swug something. And I have two pieces. One's on gay rights and has a bunch of jokes. And then one's on music. And it's all about my love of music. And it was kind of like what we were talking about the other day, like the lack of guitar solos now. It was all right, about right, right. Hendrix and Stevie Ray Vaughan and Miles Davis and all this shit. It was the first piece I saw that like Robin quoted back, or the first piece I did. Um, not a lot of jokes. Not great for like a, a 1 a.m. comedy audience. So I go up. The host, who's a very famous UK comic, literally introduces me. as like, I don't know who this next guy is. I think he's homeless. Like he says my last name wrong. I come up on stage. It's like, uh, I'm so nervous. And I start doing the gay rights one and it's getting laughs. It's like doing good. Like it's doing really good. And the audience is picking up on like the rhythm. You know, I end it and they clap and I'm like, cool. And then I have this music one. And I start to do the music one and dude, there was a DJ off stage who just played like 10 seconds of music in between acts. And I don't know if he was on fucking drugs. I don't know what happened, but as I'm doing this music rant, he slowly starts playing, uh, explosions in the sky, that instrumental band yeah, yeah, over the music rant. And I start kind of changing it to fit that rhythm. The crowd starts going ape shit. Wow. Like people are standing on their chairs. People, I'm almost in tears because I've never heard this before. I, I mean, it's wow. true. Like I'm performing art, never having heard it. And like, it's like the most beautiful explosions in this guy's song. It's like the, your hand in mine one or something. And you know, and I'm, I'm talking about miles Davis and I'm almost crying and the audience is fucking cheering. Fucking place goes nuts. I get a standing ovation. Host comes out, uh, puts me on his fucking, shoulders like I, it was so surreal so fucking surreal this does sound then, like a movie like a, a dude, 80s movie totally and so it. then like i i get off stage this like six foot dutch guy comes up to me and he goes what are you doing tomorrow 
and I said, I'm being homeless. I'm homeless. Uh, he fucking flies me out to Lowlands Festival, that huge music festival in Amsterdam. Um, cut to I'm literally on stage watching Tool with members of the Arcade Fire at like the biggest music festival, like met Chris Cornell, like all these people. I just played the comedy stage for a year, not Hendrix, two years for a year. I was like a darling out there yeah. where getting these reviews and then Robin found me and, and then I didn't stick the landing. I just got nervous. You know, when Robin died, it really fucked me up because not only was he one of the only people who he got me, my manager and my agent, and he was helped out with the podcast. I mean, wow. I, I wrote a book with my ex-wife ages ago and it was, it came out a couple of months after Robin died. And it was dedicated to Robin and everyone thought that uh, we did it after he died, you know, Right. Uh, but we didn't. It was dedicated to Robin before he died because we would be dead without Robin. We would have been broke. We would have, you know. And so, but also Robin was the guy who would talk to me when I was suicidal, when I was depressed. So when the guy who talks to you about suicide uh, kills himself, uh, it'll fuck with you. And so I just like, I didn't really have... Not that I should have needed it, but I didn't really have backup. And so, you know, I either did regular straight stand up and it would be fine because I didn't give a shit or, you know, I just I lost like the courage, you know, to be weird. I, that And, and, and but I, I wouldn't fully quit because I would think about Robin, too. And then this was finally the fucking year where I was like, I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. But I also thought about like, wait a second, like he didn't like. I mean, he did not like, but like I wasn't doing straight standup. Like I was being weird. And that fucking amazing show I had, there was music and like, fuck, why did I run from this? Um, and the reason was because I was scared and I was trying to fit in and like, you know, again, I'm not comparing me to Hendrix or Dylan or anyone like that. But like when they got heat, they were so strongly convinced that what they were doing was right. 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 That they kept going. Whereas I've always been fragile to the point where when someone goes, that's not right. Or that doesn't fit. Or like, why don't you just do this? I'm kind of like codependent. Jamie is like, well, if you'll like me, I'll do it. We'll be right back after this short break. You know, we kind of had a similar thing with Japan. Japan was where we had tons of success way before the U.S. And still, it's still bigger, still bigger there. I, re I remember, like, getting, like, uh, I'm pretty sure I heard bootlegs of, like, your Japan shows. Yeah, the Japan shows. I mean, we, we went over there. We were still, like, in the van and trailer and doing, like, shitty clubs in the U.S. We went over there, and it was, like, limos and sold-out venues the very first time. <laughs> yeah, and the funny thing yeah. is, everyone's like, man, you just got to grind it out and you're just gonna in the U.S., and you just got to keep playing shows and just every shitty club, and you'll make your way up. And then we put out a record that... We were really lucky. It was back when labels did shit, and we 
yeah. had like a top 10 record, an instrumental band. And so we go over there, we're selling out thousand people every night, having never been there. And we were like, what was that bullshit about having to grind? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, we're uh, just going to move to Tokyo. <laughs> but then of course, like, and then we go over there, we're like getting all this press and like billboards and all this stuff. And we're playing sold out shows and uh, fans and in autographs, like at our hotel and all this stuff. I mean, it was totally surreal. And wow. we get home and we're right back into, I remember like the first gig back having to like load our crap into the back of some shitty club and slipping on a beer bottle bottle and hit my head on the organ and oh uh, and dude, totally by the way that. i've i've heard stories i slater kinney has a very similar story and the roots have a very similar story i think when the roots won like a fucking grammy quest yeah. loves like electricity it will like got shut out that day yeah 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 Half the people I've had on the podcast have one of the have a story like that. Like the day before the Grammys, I was like on the floor of my van in, in sweating, <laughs> and, you know, yeah. with a flat tire on the side of the road. I mean, we, we've oh had there's been so many stories like that. But I think, like you know, back to what you were saying, it's like you know, then it's you know, fast forward many years later when I made my first album as a solo artist and I'm singing my track, changing yes. up what I'm doing. You know, I was like, oh, if this doesn't do it, then what? You know, but then there was that album did did what it did and the next one was better and then the one I just made is I think it's like like success comes, man. It's just it comes like when you really need it and can handle it in the right way too. So it's like yes. I feel like you know, and also the the right amount of it, because I think for me, I'd never, you know, I've gotten to know John Mayer and Dave Matthews and a lot of guys that are like way more famous than I'll ever be or ever want to be. And like that side of it sucks. You know what yeah. I mean? That side of it truly sucks. I mean, yeah. I don't care how you slice it. It's like, I mean, maybe some people would enjoy that, but I don't, I want to be able to go to any restaurant. I want to be able to go to the movies. I want to be able to do any of that stuff. You are living the fucking dream where you get to be around the musicians you want to be around. You get to make the kind of music you want to make. You will be a working musician. Now you get to have these conversations, not to kiss your ass, but like, I was surprised at how good the podcast is. Like, you're really good at this. Um, like, I don't listen to a ton of podcasts. And uh, and then, yeah, you get to like, you want to have a family? Cool. You want to tour? Cool. Like, but there was so much time between all of that. And and part of, I think, the, and like, this is to get back to the Ram Das. I mean, it's like, it's like really about yeah. your mindset. I mean, it's totally. like, it's like, you got to live in the moment and gratitude is everything. If you don't, if you're not thankful for what's there, it's going to go away. Dude, you know when I, I mean? was 26, I had the littlest bit of niche fame. Like when I say niche, I mean like I was only getting recognized in vegan restaurants like that. And like <laughs> I was fucking I was drinking. I didn't get out of my relationship that I should have. I fucking end up cheating. Like I don't recognize the person yeah, yeah. that uh, that that I was back then. And I think about that sometimes where it's like, "Whoa. Imagine if things did blow up." Yeah. Like I'd be fucking dead. Well, that's what, you know, that, that's exactly what I'm saying. And, um, back to the, the art that, that you're making. And like, by the way, the tracks that you sent me, I love. And I think that's, they're like, so much. Well, and also, you know, I think that the timing is probably going to be perfect of like putting that project, you know, out to right. the world and adding to that project. But I also wanted to ask you something uh, on a creative side. Um, yeah. when, when you're doing the spoken word, and I don't even know if, because I guess you could call it spoken word, but I'd also, I also, I don't know what to call it. I don't it. know what it's called yet. Cause with the stuff I, I listen to, 
um, which is not out yet, by the way. We've both been sharing our, our unreleased stuff yeah. uh, back and forth. Oh, so. oh, good. I can say I can say that your new yeah. shit is so good. Oh, thank Great. You, okay. Thank yeah. You. Everybody thank needs so to get much. it. Like, thank you. and also. Have you ever noticed sometimes other people's music comes into your life at the right time where I was like, definitely, but dude, I, you, you sent me that, uh, and I couldn't even download it. I had to like, listen to it, like from like my like DMS essentially. Yeah. And I was, I was running, uh, like on the lake in this new city. And I was like, yep, this is, this is now the soundtrack to Jamie's going to have the courage to do the art he wants to make. Like, it was just like, yeah, if that amazing. album will, will now forever be a thing in my life. I'm so about timing. You know, I mean, it took me a while to figure that out, but like, like being a musician and a songwriter, I didn't really discover, I mean, I knew Bob Dylan, but it wasn't till like two years ago that I had my like Bob Dylan like dive. You know what I mean? Because Buddy, I was always my, I was always was, like, he can't really sing, ago. he can't really yes. play. And then yes. like the song Man in Me, that's why the song Man in Me, I recorded that song. Cause that yeah. song hit me like a ton of bricks. It was because all of a sudden I was like gonna have a kid. So really this is in the last year and year and a half that um and I went, oh my God, Bob Dylan. I mean, I always was like, you know, I liked All Along the Watchtower. I'm like, oh, Blowing in the Wind. That's a great song. Now, but, you know, so I, it hit, but it, it's because I had to appreciate it at a certain time yep. where, you know, where I had to really absorb it. And the Grateful Dead is the same thing. Like I had uh, my, my earliest version of Loving the Dead. And it was more about like being attached to this community and a pet. And then the music, when I joined Phil's band, in my late thirties, it came back and all of a sudden it was like, wow, I needed this music right now. My Bob Dylan, when you say two years ago, I'm so glad you admitted that when I casually dropped Rolling Thunder review, that's yeah. when I got into him. Yeah. That was like a month ago. I yeah. like watched it with a date, same deal for the exact same reasons. And, and now I'm like, oh, this Bob Dylan fella, like he's, he's quite, he's quite good. Yeah. Um, Dylan the same way, same with the dead because I grew up on fish. So fish was so much like edgier and had that like rock vibe that when I went back to the dead, I was like, man, that sounds kind of like country and like, I don't get it. And yeah. now, you know, you listen to Jerry's solos and you're like, Oh, this is, he was God. <laughs> like yeah. what that was. Yeah. And the pacing and, then, and, and the oh songwriting. God. So that's the thing is like, I was a fish fan. Too. I'm not, and I'm not that I'm not now, but I'm more of a grateful dead guy because I'm such a Robert Hunter and Barlow like Robert Hunter. I mean, are you kidding me? The, maybe the greatest lyricist ever. You know? I don't think I under, I don't think I started listening to lyrics till yeah. fucking this year, you know. And yet right. when you said Watchtower, I was like, anyone my age, when we would cover Watchtower, we didn't even cover Hendrix's version. We were all doing the fucking Dave Matthews like boom, that, like yeah, intro with like the bass. I know. Like we only covered any band I saw that was my age covered the Dave Matthews covering Hendrix, covering Dylan. Like that right, was our, right, right. <laughs> our version of it. So when you're putting together your songs, I'm going to call them songs, but that makes me so happy. Yeah, and I'm going to text are, my manager right away and be like, Krasno's <laughs> calling it songs. No, because They're the ones songs. that I listened to, I was trying to understand what the creative process was like. Are you writing out word for word, what you're going to do and reciting that? Or is it like, here's my framework and I'm just going to like go, um, like, what are you, what's going on there? So I'm writing it out. The stand that's cool. You asked that. Cause I, I would have assumed it seemed very written, but I think that my like 
you know, 17 years in stand-up, I can get away with sounding casual, even when it's rehearsed. Right. But then the, I'm, I'm writing it very like rhythmically. Right. Um, so to me, you know, like one of them I wrote today actually rhymes. It doesn't sound like hip hop, but it's weird rhymes. It's like yeah. not at the end. It's like a ton of like slant rhymes in the middle. And, but I fall in love with the, the, the rhythm of it. I was a drummer before a guitar player. And, and you know, where I, where I fucked up, cause I, I sent you something that had a full band, but the vocals were kind of flat. And I think that's because I was scared of having the vocals out in front. Cause I'm like, this is stupid. I don't know. I like, I don't know what this is. I called them rants, which I hated, but I was like too embarrassed to call them poems. And like, I was like, I don't know what they are. Um, but I realized too is on that fuck the NRA track I sent you, I tried to have like a full rock band behind it. And I think it was almost too much because I realized that like, if I'm not singing, I'm not really writing in with melodies. Um, it is much more percussive. Right. And so it's like, Oh, it's kind of like shit. It's kind of like a drummer is like the lead. So you can't have a bunch of like blaring guitars uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, but none I'm of it felt out of place to me. Like, and I well, wouldn't cool. say that it's not singing. It's like the closest thing I would say is maybe like Rage Against the Machine is like, cause he's yeah. like not quite, I mean, he's rapping, but he's singing, but it's like, yeah. Um, well, mo and most of mine don't have rhymes. And then there are right. jokes, which is like a weird thing because you don't want to be, I don't want to be like a comedy music guy. Yeah, you know, yeah, when I, yeah, when yeah. I, when I think of that, I think of like, you know, prop acts and nineties comedy clubs who are like, what if the beach boys uh, only sang about dicks? And you're like, what? <laughs> uh, like, you know, and, and, and so, but now I'm kind of like, Oh, maybe humor can be used almost as another weapon, right? As like, everyone loves when the fucking drummer goes halftime on the China symbol, but the China symbol doesn't get used all the time. Um, like maybe that's the, the where, where jokes can play. Like, honestly, man, I'm still figuring it out. I mean, I have, I didn't send you a ton, uh, but like, I have like maybe five tracks that I just did with a guitar here and I wrote them out and then I, 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 I say them back um, without any instruments so they could be performed alone and, and still have those beats, have those hits, have the percussive element, have some jokes, say what I want to say. And I think what I'm going to do now is I can't start a band, even though I'm in Austin. Um, but I have a lot of friends that I look up to and I'm almost like, you know, uh, there's this one drummer, uh, his name is Eric. He was McCoy Tyner's drummer and he's fucking great. Um, he's so good. And he loves it. Cause I did a poem on my Instagram, just acapella. And so we're going to do like two tracks. He has a studio and I'm like, don't do any, just put fucking drums. He's like yeah. one of the best jazz drummers in the world. And I'm I mean, like, I think I'm, that's, uh, would, that could be going to be sound awesome. Yeah. That could be good with just yeah. the fucking drums. Yeah. yeah and yeah. then, you know, uh, you, uh, you know, Trevor Hall, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like Trevor and I want to do something. And then it's like, okay, cool. There's like a beautiful, a beautiful hippie, spiritual acoustic guy. Like, what does that sound like? What would it be like if you played guitar? Like uh, anybody listening? Like, I don't know. And I think through doing these collaborations, 
I'm going to start to kind of find the voice and because right now I'm just writing in my voice, but I'm like, I want to get to the point where I can write a different sounding rant for you playing some fucking jazz line or then Trevor doing an acoustic, you know, right now it's very like, this is my voice. This is how it sounds. But like, honestly, I have no fucking idea where it's going to go. I just know that I'm done with comedy clubs. I'm done with two drink minimums. I'm done with fucking telling some fucking sad story on stage where some guys fucking slowly eating a mozzarella stick in front of me. Um, Music is the thing that lights me up. Music is the thing that makes me happy. I've lost a lot in my fucking life and I could be bitter about it or sad, or I could go, you know what? If I'm going to lose all this shit, I might as well do what I've always dreamt of doing at the age of fucking 38 and see what happens. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But I know that like, I want to be around musicians. I want to be collaborating with people and making shit that hasn't been made before um that's always what fascinates me is that like how can we subvert uh these different forms how can we combine these different forms even when i was doing straight stand-up i wanted to like uh i would have sometimes like moby would sometimes come to my shows in la and like play like acoustic guitar over my stand-up just because i'm like it's just interesting i just like music more you know um so that's the plan, man. I'm fucking all the fuck in. Speaking from my own experience, like everything that I've been really proud of happened from like a or or, or was like it it sparked from like a major like I'm jumping off this cliff now. Like I can remember yes. the specific moment of like making my album Blood from a Stone. I was like, okay, it was just like a moment where I basically was like, I'm going to go. I like drove to Maine and put all my stuff in my car and decided I was like going to go make a record in my friend's barn because he and I just had a couple of vo- like voicemails of like, here's a riff. And he was like, oh, man, what? Like, and he had some lyrics and I had some lyrics. And then, and I was like, I had never like even sang, you know, um, and yeah. I, originally. How, but it, but it how was old like, are you? Because, uh, yeah, I never sang till I was like mid 30s. Yeah, I was 30 something. Fucking awesome. This is so good for me to hear. I'd been a songwriter for years, right. but I had never. I, so even that record, I was like, I'm going to write these songs. I'm going to get all these great singers. And when I started sending the demos to the singers of the songs, they were like, you're singing this. What are you talking you about? You should do this. Yeah. And, uh, but it was like, That's I guess so what I'm cool. trying to say is like, um, jumping, you know, jumping into something and just starting it. And even yeah. if you have like the beginning and you already have, it's very conceptualized, but I, the best projects that, that I've ever done were like, I had yeah. this much of a concept and then it completely changed by the end, but yes. it was, there was no way of seeing the full picture in the beginning. It was kind of <sighs> like, I just need awesome. to just start like, you know, burrowing into this and like Dude. figuring out what's on the other side. Yes. No, that's exactly <laughs> what I'm doing. And, 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 and it's also why I started. Okay. So I started jujitsu late and I got very good, very fast. And yeah. the reason is because I was like, okay. And you know, it's funny. I was talking to diamond Dallas page, WWE hall of famer on my yeah. fucking uh, podcast. And he started wrestling really late. And everyone was telling him not to do it. And he did the exact same thing I did um, with jujitsu where I was like, okay, I'm not going to be faster than these guys. I'm not going to be stronger. I'm not more athletic. I don't have as much free time. Like everything's against me. I could go in and be like, well, I fucking suck. Why did I start so late? This is horrible. I'm out of breath. I'm in pain, blah, blah, blah. Or what I did was, and this is what I'm going to do with music. And it sounds like 
you, whether consciously or unconsciously, did it, even though you had obviously a background. But you know, singing, man, it's it's different. It's more vulnerable. It's it, you're putting yourself out in front. Um, I was like, what do I have that they don't have? And it's boring, but it's good stuff. Which is, I can be more patient. I can be more intellectual. If I get tapped out or if I fuck up, I will ask a question instead of having ego where I just get mad and slap the mat like a fucking dumb 19 year old. (laughs) And this is how I feel about music too, where like, that's the reason I went back and started watching Dylan. It's because I'm like, I'm going to study. Like I'm taking guitar lessons for the first time in my fucking life. Even if I just end up doing vocals. Um, I mean, I love the guitar, but I was like, you know, I always used to brag about not knowing about theory and making my shit up. And it's like, yeah, but what if even just like one little thing helps me? And so like, I'm practicing fucking scales every day. I'm going to a diner with a notebook. I'm freehand writing poetry instead of just like, oh, when a joke comes, I'll write the joke down and I'll work it out on stage. I'm like, I'm writing every day so I can get better as a poet. I'm listening to so much music now and it'll go from listening to you. Like today, I listen to you. I listen to Coltrane. I listen to fucking BB King. I listen to Run the Jewels. I listen to fucking Taylor Swift and I listen to Phoebe Bridgers. Like I'm studying um, all types of music instead of staying in my lane. Uh, And I think that like, instead of getting mad at myself, which is tempting, like someone sent me some fucking phone clip of like a piece I did when I opened for Talib. And I was... You know, I kind of had that like, ah, oh, that I fuck up. Like, how cool was that? And what if, what if I just kept going? But instead, I was like, no, like it's supposed to happen now, and it'll happen better now, for those kind of reasons. And so that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. You fucking get me with a guitar in front of, like, you, you know, maybe a show I would have complained about, however many years ago when I was like a douchebag in my twenties. I'm like, I'm going to be ecstatic, you know? I mean, practicing scales, I'm not going to complain about because I'm playing music, which I, 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 I put away for so many years. And so, like, that's my fucking goal. And I feel like if you, whatever you're doing, if you're doing it out of love, out of joy, not being fucking bitter, it's going to work out, you know? It's like when you... Uh, if you're sitting around being like, why aren't I ever going to find a girlfriend? Why aren't I ever going to find a boyfriend? You're either going to find a shitty boyfriend or girlfriend because that's kind of <laughs> what you're putting out there or you're not going to find anyone. Whereas I've never, I do not get hit on a lot, everybody, but like this year is easily the most I've ever had really cool and a lot of them I've made good friends with and I've had some like really lovely relationships, but it's because I'm not looking and because I'm just doing the shit that I want to do and making the art I want to make and like good stuff will happen if you just follow that voice, but we're always trying to suffocate that fucking voice because the voice is usually telling you to do a scary thing, but we got to listen to it. And that's kind of what I'm trying to, you know, do life's too short, man. And life can be shitty. That's why I'm like, I just want to make dope shit with dope people. And that's it. Yes, like, I and know, then, I hear you, and then you, and then you, and then you win. And then the other stuff fucking falls into place. Like, that's really I know. it. I mean, and that's that's becoming clearer from COVID and just every year that I get older. I'm like, I, I just want to work with people that I 
like being around and that That's make it. great art. I mean, it's so, so it's so funny. It's it is so simple. And when I wish I wish that's like the thing I wish I could just tell my 25 year old self because I was hustling so hard to like, oh, I need to like make a produce this huge artist and whoever is like the dopest person at the time I was like I need to like yep. produce a track or get a beat on this guy's record and and like you know uh now it's like that stuff's so funny to me because like that's the last thing I care about now so I just want to make something I'm proud of with either uh, my own records or with the people that I love making music with and like, yeah that's all I lo- that and being able to like eat good food and keep my lights on that's 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 it dude that's it that's it I told uh <laughs> I just told someone who was going through a similar thing um, again, I've been quoting from your podcast a lot. I think it was Dwayne, maybe who said this, who they were telling the story about, uh, finding on your last or second to last podcast. Oh yeah. Uh, Dwayne and uh, fi- Devin. Yeah. Yeah. Finding, yeah. uh, the bass player who was on tour with the Dixie chicks and yeah, I'm not yeah, going to yeah. like, re- but like it, that where it's like, Oh, we can't give you a jet. And you know, yeah. we're, we're just two fucking guys. And he's like, you, I, I choose you. Like, and like, yeah, man. Like to, even to have that fucking for the amount of times that I chose incorrectly, whether yeah. it was just, oh, I'm going to go with CAA instead of like this smaller person who believes in me. And now that that smaller person is like one of the biggest fucking agents on the planet. Well, that's the yeah. See, that's it. And you want to be able to ride with the people that 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 would that want to be there for you, man. I mean, it's like that's and it. like you said, those people are going to do well if they see talent and they see. You know, that's that those are people you want to be around, man. Dude, I mean, it's so cool that I got my music manager while I was doing stand up. Right, like right. he he was like, Oh, that could be really fun to like do stand up. And then last month I was like, Terrible news. I'm a musician now. But like <laughs> I didn't even know that I was gonna do it. I just loved him as a person and and, and we vibed really hard on music. And I'm like, I don't know if he even gets what I'm doing yet, but like, I just love him and he supports me. And like, um, I still have the emails to all the really big comedy managers and agents, but I'm like the idea of like making it with your fucking same with, uh, I, I have a music agent too. Who's like, she's indie. Like she, um, uh, my buddies was the bass player in no doubt. And like, he hooked me up with her forever ago, but yeah, I fired my like very big famous LA agents. Cause I'm like, they're not calling me back. Right. And she wrote me over quarantine and she was like, you should start doing the spoken word stuff again. And like, I'd work with you. And I'm like, yeah. yeah, fuck it. And the idea of like making it with like a little rogue team that like doesn't have is so appealing to me yeah you know what i mean and like look there are good people at caa and there are good people at all of the big i'm sure there are good people at labels and a lot of times those good people get held down for the fucking you know dum-dums at the top but um yeah the idea of like just coming up with people and again making something brand new without needing the the name recognition or the or, or whatever is just yeah, and I think a lot of time. I mean, also the game is changing, and these monster companies are all falling apart. I mean, yeah, pre-COVID, yeah. but post-COVID, like no one's going back. To, I mean, I'm trying to imagine if like people are going to go back to offices now that they've been sitting in their sweatpants for nine months, and it doesn't Absolutely matter. Not. I mean, like they're doing their Zoom meetings, they're doing their calls. Like, yeah. I, you know, it's a so it, I know like a lot of. Uh, 
agencies and management companies are downsizing and changing and people are becoming their own companies. And I finally got a lit agent because I have a script that a bunch of like really good writers liked and I got a lit agent and then the lockdown happened and then my lit agent was immediately fired the next day. Right. Like those motherfuckers don't give a shit. They laid yeah. off like everybody like day one they weren't even like hey let's ride it out like you know stay at home for a little bit and like we'll still pay you they were like so cutthroat that that's why and this is another thing and i think musicians are probably better at it than comedians but like every time i see comedians fighting i want to be like how about we all get health insurance before we fight you know what i mean like how about we band together just enough so we don't fucking die. Right. And I feel like, and maybe COVID did this. And again, this is why I'm one of the reasons I'm attracted to musicians too, is it's like, what if the artist could just fucking band together and put their ego aside just a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. We wouldn't need any of these companies. Well, that I think that again, like this is another thing that hopefully we take from this COVID times because like people coming together to do the save our stages things. And like, yeah, we're all realizing, yeah, we are kind of all in this game that we have to, it has to stay alive for any of us to like do anything. Um, totally. So I have been seeing that and seeing a lot of like bigger artists do things that I didn't think they would do, you know, like doing these streaming right. things and contributing to things. So, you know, um, but yeah, I think that there's going to be a lot of change uh, from this time period. And I'm hoping that most of it will be positive. It ha- it has to be, man. And yeah. then look, the people who are going to be shitty are going to be shitty. But it, when you can just sort of put out your Captain Planet sonar or whatever to attract the good people. I mean, you know, me and you have probably had mutual friends for years, but again, we found each other when we were supposed to find each other. And I think that, you know, when you're just open and receptive to it and just going for the thing you're going, you're supposed to be doing and listening to that voice and not listening to fear, suddenly all of these people, like you just start finding them. Right, and right. you're just like, oh, that was far easier than I thought it was going right, to be. Right. You know? well, and people, at the end of the day, they love authentic shit. You, you don't want people that are like trying to do something that that's not them. You know? No, which was me with stand up for like yeah. a very, very long time. Also, I wanted to say that I love the videos that you do on Instagram and particularly the guitar teacher one <laughs> had me dying. <laughs> everyone, everyone that's listening, please go watch that, especially if you're a guitarist, because most yes. like half of the people that listen to this are guitarists. Um, oh, that's perfect. Yeah. Your, your Instagram uh, is just your name at. Uh, yeah. So it's at the Jamie Kilstein. Oh, the Jamie Kilstein. Okay. And the video is, I think it's just called Every Guitar Teacher Ever. I had an idea for a drummer <laughs> one too, but it's not as good as the guitar one. It's a a little weirder yeah. uh, but that guitar one I was so, I was so happy with and I'm talking I've played with like very famous guitar players and like 18 year old guitar players and it will always be that it will yeah, always yeah. always well, also always in, be that. in the beginning of quarantine I also dabbled with teachings I mean I was I just did a handful right. of, of of lessons uh 
And I'm working on eventually doing like a um, a video kind of like series that's going to be more like a masterclass kind of thing. But, I will, uh, which which is that. more my style. But like doing yes. doing the like one on one lessons. Anyway, it just had me. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. Up. Yeah, and everybody, uh, I appreciate that you. Uh, my Twitter has a bigger following, but that's only yeah. when I used to be like a political asshole who yelled at everybody. And <laughs> Instagram is where I'm happy, and I just post pictures of I post music and pictures with like me and other people's dogs and then these fucking weird videos i make and so everybody go follow me on instagram so i can delete my twitter please i spoke already on your album 25 percent capacity um anything else that you want to plug on the show uh i mean i guess the podcast um the podcast of course yeah and then you got to come on it so the podcast is called uh a fuck-ups guide to self-help yeah which i've been listening to the last couple days i love it oh that's awesome the episode with pete holmes was like so great because i really really just like also just brought me a lot of new york nostalgia dude that Uh, makes me so fucking happy that makes me so happy every time you talk about uh the wetlands yeah 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 that i was 16 that's like the cellar that's like our version of the cellar back in the day yeah I mean, I lived in New York for so long, but I don't even remember. I couldn't tell you where the wetlands was because I was 16 and I was coming in from New Jersey and I was so fucking nervous. I thought every cab driver was going to kidnap me. I like didn't yeah. know how cities worked. And uh, I mean, it was fucking wild, man. Like the the upstairs and that, like the people I saw, I remember I saw Tim Reynolds there and like Tim Reynolds was there. And then the guy from the spin doctors was playing acoustic downstairs and Tim Reynolds, like I only knew him from like the Luther college, Dave Matthews things. And suddenly motherfucker comes out and he has like a gas mask on and he's just playing all this like fucking (laughs) bananas, like metal. Uh, Yeah. He's ridiculous. Yeah. Ridiculous. And uh, yeah. So every time you mention that, I just like my, my fucking heart stops. So yeah. So uh, the podcast is, you know, I interview artists I like, and I love talking about rock bottoms and struggles and, you know, stuff like this. And then when I talk about mental health or suicide or whatever, I want, I mean, I try to be funny about it, but a lot of self-help comes from this place of like, um, yeah, you do, you, you know, you go to Tulum and do ayahuasca and it's right. like, mm, like I'm talking about it from a place of sort of like, Hey, I'm going to give you this advice. Uh, on what to do with this girl because I should have done that yesterday and I didn't. Right. Uh, you know what I mean? Like right, I'm right. trying to get better with the audience and I think that that's why they sort of trust me and there's a really cool just like community. Uh, we call them of misfits and yeah, it's all fucking artists and weirdos and you know uh, moms who have started writing poetry again like because of the show and it's really cool i mean that's going to be my cons- my constant right, right um as like the whatever live shit i'm doing um changes uh so yeah so that's called a fuck up's guide to self-help you can either look that up on itunes or all the places or just go to jamie kilstein podcast.com well i appreciate you taking the time man and we'll do this again whether on on your on your podcast or i'll have you back or whatever whatever medium we can we can figure out thank you Uh, so much yeah it's great hanging with you man I want to thank Jamie Kilstein for being on the show. And I really hope that we can do more together, music, comedy, all of that stuff. And before we go, I'm going to play uh, a track off of his new live album, 25% Capacity. This one's called COVID. I'm from Arizona. Arizona 
riddled in COVID right now. I remember when I, I took an Uber, <laughs> I was away from Arizona for a while, and I took an Uber, and I was like, hey, how's like the COVID thing going? And he goes, oh, it's pretty much gone. And I was like, that's not science. That's not, <laughs> it's pretty much gone. Like, they don't care about any, the first, my first show back since COVID, I, it was in Arizona. It was, there was just like this huge COVID spike. It was right when the George Floyd protest started and the city was pretty much on fire. Like literally the mountains were on fire. Like you guys just had crazy fires too, right? I didn't know that. I'm such a fucking whimsical idiot. My friend was like, uh, this is the first day it, 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 there hasn't been smoke everywhere. When I came into Colorado yesterday, I didn't even think about fires. I rolled down the window, smelled it. And I was like, it smells like Christmas. Like I just did it. I was like, this is lovely. So anyway, so the fucking people in Arizona, mountains are on fire, protests, COVID, shows completely sold out. Nobody fucking cared. Not only that, the fires nobody cared about. My backyard, it looked like, like I could just see flames everywhere. And I get a text message from the government. And I was like, you have to evacuate. And I was like, oh my God. And again, I'm from LA. I'm scared of everything. So like I get my little fucking backpack. I go to evacuate. You know what my neighbors were doing? Swimming in the pool. They were swimming in the fucking pool. And I go to them, I go, did you guys get the text? Should, should we evacuate? The child looks at me and goes, it looks like we're swimming in a volcano. Then I go to the dad, I go, are you evacuating? And he just goes, nah, fuck the government. I was like, all right, cool. <laughs> cool, man, I guess. Uh, so yeah, I don't know if we should be here, but I'm glad we are. It's fucking good to do comedy. It's not fucking safe anyway. I mean, it's certainly not safe here. This looks like where you go to hide bodies. Uh, it's the best. I talked to two people where I talked to two people who were outside and they came to the show and they told their Uber driver, they go, this is the address. And he didn't want to drop them off because he was like, this isn't safe. You've been, whoever told you to come here was surely lying to you and luring you into some sort of trap. I'm going to protect you. But we did it. You know why I did it here? I mean, one, it's fucking, this place is fucking cool. But also, I heard the motto was no cops. And I was, and I was like, I've never seen a venue where the motto is no cops. So I was like, yeah, we gotta fucking do it. And I felt like a badass. I'm like, yeah, it's my way to fucking fuck the man. But then as I was announcing it, and I was like, yeah, come see me on October 3rd, no cops. I realize I'm just telling everyone I hate, like, this is my address and I'll have no protection. Like, that's all. <laughs> Eric Krasno Plus One is hosted by me, Eric Krasno. Executive producers are RJB and Christina Collins. Audio production by Matt Dwyer. Produced by myself and Ben Baruch of 1111 Group. All original music is by me, and most of which are instrumentals from my album, Telescope, under the artist name Kras. This podcast is presented by Osiris Media. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email Kraz plus one at Gmail. That's K-R-A-Z-P-L-U-S-O-N-E at gmail.com. Send me some questions. Maybe I'll answer them on air. Send me suggestions of other guests you'd like to hear on the show. Thanks again for tuning in. I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.